Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. Today, in this special episode, we're looking at the energy crisis that's engulfing Europe, well, and beyond at the moment, and what is being done in response to that, and what we think can be done in response to that. To explore this, I'm joined by three of my colleagues. Let's say hello quickly. Uh, Nigel Timperley. Hello, Nigel. Hi, John. Uh, Alex Veal. Hi, John. And David Trevethick. Hi, David. Hi, John. So uh, we're going to look at three things, the policy focus, which we won't spend too long on because it's a subject of a lot of discussion and most of you listening will probably be a bit bored by all the policy news, energy policy news that's out at the moment. Then a bit around what the energy sector is doing in response to the crisis and weave that in with what we think the energy sector could be doing in response to this crisis. And hopefully this will stimulate some ideas for you to take back to your companies, uh, your work in the energy transition. Let's see where it goes. So to start off, let's have a quick look at policy. Um, I wrote a LinkedIn blog recently that got a lot of views because I think I started it with a line, I'm very frustrated, which is probably a bit of a catchy line. Um, (laughs) But I'm frustrated at the lack of focus on the demand side. So if we look at policy focus across different European countries, it tends to be on nuclear, more big renewables, things like that on the supply side rather than the demand side. And that frustrates me hugely because I think we should be starting with the customer, putting the customer at the middle, um, focusing on what the customer needs and doing that in the most efficient way and then working out how to supply that. So opening that up to uh, David, Alex, Nigel, am I naive to be frustrated or are you frustrated as well? How do you feel? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pretty frustrated as well. Um, and yes, I, 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 don't think, I don't think we're alone in that. Uh, um, the, the general tenor of a lot of the, of the policy responses have been... Um, have been supply-led, um, you know, upstream, um, as you say, big nukes uh, and so on, all of which is fine, but um, it's only half the story. And and as much as anything, I'd say I'm frustrated, uh, puzzled by it, really. It's a, a it's a baffle, baffling situation when there's a clear open goal that governments don't seem to want to um, take the opportunity of, of putting the ball in the net. Um Payback opportunities on demand side measures have never looked so attractive um, as, as they are now because energy prices are doing a fantastic job of providing um, free subsidies, mm. uh, in effect, um, which um, suppliers could um, could capitalise on and policymakers could build on. And yet policymakers don't seem to want to step into that gap um so it's I'm, very strange nigel i'm frustrated you're you're puzzled uh Alex, <laughs> if you look at the situation in france um there's a bit of support for heating subsidies aren't 
isn't there at the moment? So are you are you puzzled or frustrated or would you characterize it as something else? I'm trying to stay optimistic, John. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm also quite frustrated, I must say, because, yeah, you're right. Uh, there have been changes, um, new subsidies, as you said, for heat pumps, for insulation, for biomass heaters. Um, but I don't think that's enough. It's not usually those helps. There may be 1000 euros more. And obviously, that's just not enough to provide the renovation wave that I think we need in France and in Europe. Um, I think there should be, as you say, more focus on the demand side. And we don't really see it. So in France, it's presidential election time. And it's a great time to implement changes, I think. But that's not really what we hear in the speeches at the moment. So that 1,000 euros more, 1,000 euros more than what? What as a household in France, what could I get to help me put in a more efficient heating system and insulate my home better? So it will depend on the in- income of the households. Um, mm-hmm. I think the maximum uh, subsidized that you can claim is around 10,000 euros to install a heat pump. So with this um, 1,000 euro more, you end up with 11,000 euros. Okay. Um, so frustrated, puzzled, optimistic. Um, David, your speciality is energy insights and customer engagement. Um, may, I'm not sure that's a, a government or a policy topic, or perhaps there are things governments or policymakers could do. How, how are you feeling about the, the policy response overall? Well, frustrated um, as others, I think. Um, but if you bring it back to uh, the consumer right now and the immediate problem it's around high energy prices and you know they're faced with a bill uh, and with that bill there are a lot of costs that are not controllable for them so actually just spitting them out so you you, you take out for instance you know the the government green initiatives and network costs and actually leave a, an energy bill that customers can actually control and then um, that then might be able to see some initiatives that they can do to reduce that consumption and see a difference to their bill will be a bigger proportion uh, of reduction, for instance, um, than they might see uh, with all these additional sort of fixed costs uh, built into the bill. And in your view, David, how much do customers really understand where their energy is going? You know, we hear a lot on the news about people not being able to afford to put the heating on or having to decide how often to heat uh, heat their water tank at home. Um, do you think customers are really aware of, they see the energy bill, but how that breaks down? Or do you still think we've got a long, long way to go before customers really understand how they're using energy? People are at different stages of that. Um, I think for a lot of customers, they're at the very early stages of understanding and you know, a big sort of information sort of drive is, is needed, uh, if you like, there. But the beauty at the moment is that there's the opportunity. Um, there's a huge amount of demand right now. Uh, we're seeing um, you know, customer interaction um, through energy retail websites, through apps, through you know, call centers. People are engaged now that perhaps weren't before. So that is a great opportunity to engage them, whether that be through information campaigns or whether it's actually then to take use that demand and actually enable them to take action on the back of that. It's a really interesting point, actually, because many, many conversations I've had with energy retailers about um, providing more added value services. The response I so often hear is, oh, customers don't care about energy. 
energy is a, a low interest category. Oh, no one, no one cares. No one's engaged. No one's bothered. But now suddenly everyone's bothered. So hmm. is it a really big opportunity for the industry actually at this stage or are they too much on the back foot? What do people think? I think it's a huge opportunity. It's just how it's framed. Um, when you say you're people engaged in energy, you know, people perhaps don't care too much about or understand what a kilowatt hour is, but they might know what a euro in their pocket is. So it's, it's about reframing the conversation in, in ways and, and lifestyles that make sense to people. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that. David also used the word control a moment ago, which I think is a factor. You know, there's a lot of very scared people around. Um, and and we need to give people the ability to control their costs. So, yeah, insight is definitely the first step on that journey. But just telling them, don't worry, we'll build some nukes upstream in 10 years' time, it doesn't really do a lot for how the hell am I going to keep my house warm this winter? Um, and, and it's that lack of control. Um, and and if, if the answer is, um some vague upstream mystery well that's no real answer at all um but if you help me to insulate my home or you help me for instance we've seen particularly in mainland europe the the emergence of um solar as a service offers okay where um the capital barrier to obtaining uh, solar is removed by companies like uh, DZ4 and 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 essentially rent a solar system in their case either with or without storage for a fixed monthly amount and and you know the economics of that just got a whole lot better because yeah I can you know because it's now eating into a, a larger uh, larger bill and we've just done a big piece of work actually in at Delta on um, self-consumption which is an idea whose time has definitely come uh, self-consumption from PV because again this sort of free subsidy the market is giving um, householders along with the, the sheer terror of wanting to do something and take back control if you like that's that that is creating that opportunity um, policymakers have not have not responded to that but we are seeing mercifully the market itself uh, provide some solutions so Nigel does that open Something like something like solar, for example, unless it's on social mm. housing, it's been probably been considered a rich customer solution. And you know, for for all of us speaking today, yeah, the rise in energy prices hurts us, but we're not going to have to choose between heating and eating. You know, we're mm. we're in relatively well paid yeah. jobs. So, um, does those models then bring solar to people who are really struggling with energy bills at the moment can they can they really open up the market through these financed models in that way i think so i think we're in the real early days of that but absolutely um we, we to be fair there are a few of these solar as a service models companies like otobo and yellow solar offer it as well so so we are starting to see more of that um otobo in particular are doing very well uh, and are in several different um, European countries now. Um, so, so yes, it, it does take, it's not just about yeah, appealing to the middle, you know, the affluent middle classes. As soon as you take that capital barrier out the way and, and you can see a clear payback in your energy bill, it starts to make sense to a, a much wider um, set of, of, of customers. Um, but I still think it's got a lot further to go, um, I, you know, as, as a possible model. Um, 
and and in particular energy suppliers could do more with that model i think there's there's a lot of finance so we, we we've done a lot of work on finance recently and finance providers a lot of finance trying to get into the the, the green energy space the new energy space and and these sort of uh, amortization type models um which have done very well in the b2b space have made comparatively little few inroads into the b2c space so alex you 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 were talking about an interesting model you'd see in the States from Enerve, hadn't you? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually just had a conversation with this company called Enerve uh, based in, in the States. And they've developed a marketplace that they offer to utilities. And on this marketplace, they uh, provide white goods or um, heating assets, such as heat pumps, uh, together with installation. But the really interesting aspect of their offer is that they actually provide what they call eco-financing with it. So customers are able to get some finance to acquire uh, these white goods or uh, heating systems that are actually very environmental uh, friendly. They have been rated and selected by by Enerve. Um, and they're actually able to offer that because they have partnerships with, with banks and also with um, the state, so the state of California. Um, so I found that quite interesting because it actually gives the opportunity for lower income uh, households um, to access this more energy efficient uh, goods that they could not uh, acquire um, if it was a capital purchase. And in many cases also, these customers actually don't even have the possibility to get a loan um, for several reasons. So that's definitely quite interesting. And that's the kind of model that could totally be replicated for other um, systems, insulation, uh, heating systems, um, and not just in the US. I think in Europe, there's there's a gap. And I think the gap is that uh, we, we need uh, the different actors to work together to offer the type of system, not just the private sector, not just the public sector, but these two should come together to actually provide those, those kinds of, of, of offers. Is there a range, Alex? So I can imagine for some parts of the market, relying on private finance alone probably wouldn't be enough. And you need that that marriage, that joining together of pub, private finance and public finance or private finance and public support to make it work. But in other parts of the market, maybe private finance alone could provide a solution. Nigel, that might be a bit like the, the solar as a service type, type models. Yeah, yeah. The solar as a service is, is very powerful because the, the the revenues are likely to endure for an awful long time. Um, you know, if you if you've got a solar system that lasts twenty five years, that gives you twenty five years to amortise those uh, uh, revenue flows. So it makes paybacks quite plausible, especially as solar systems become more powerful and and components get cheaper. You know, and and the gap between that and um, imported power gets bigger um you know the, yes the solar i think is a as we said before mm. has got a very strong this self-consumption model has got a very strong future in in the near term okay so there's a whole host of models around well finance based models where you provide a high capex item like insulation like a heat pump like a solar panel uh, you provide that as a service or asset leasing or some somewhere on the spectrum of as a service to customers. And that fits for me very much with a, the new energy paradigm where we'll have lots of high capex, low opex assets in customers' homes. Uh, 
that provide customers with what they want at a much lower cost. But finances mm. have to be an integral part of that solution. I remember talking with uh, someone who had a brilliant analogy for me. He was talking about government energy efficiency schemes. And I think most government energy efficiency schemes that I've seen stand out by their failure. Uh, their failure. <laughs> um, so they might be very cleverly constructed. Um, they might have carrots and sticks. Uh, the carrot might be that the energy efficiency will reduce your energy costs more than any repayments you make. Uh, the stick might be, well, we'll tax energy a bit more to make the payback work. And what this person said, he says, yeah, you can have carrots and sticks, but what you really need as well is tambourines because you need to, <laughs> you need to, excite, you need to excite people. Um, and a lot of energy efficiency is a little bit dull, you know. So carrot sticks and tambourines is always stuck in my head. And I'm interested, David, maybe from your side, what you think about can energy insights help to engage people and can engagement tip into excitement? Or Nigel and Alex, is there, is there anything you've seen in the market where you think it's really, yeah, there's a bit of tambourine in that? <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, yeah, the, the carrot and stick, I mean, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're important levers, definitely. Um, but I think there's actually a lot that can be done without using sort of blunt tools like that. Uh, and actually, if you learn from sort of the, the world of behavioral science, there are actually some very simple, quick and inexpensive um, techniques that can be used to effectively change uh, consumer behavior. Um, as that's what we're trying to do in terms of reducing sort of energy consumption. Um, there's a whole host of uh, techniques that, that can be done. I mean, one of the most powerful things is is using default settings. You know, we're um, as, as consumers, we, we take the, the path of least resistance uh, quite often uh, in, in our general lives because we're, we're busy and we've got lots of things to go on. We don't want to uh, occupy our brain capacity thinking through decisions. So if there's a way to um, have a, a path of least resistance through to a, a solution um, through default settings, then that, that's the way the way to do it. I mean, we, we're surrounded with defaults. Um, you know, by, by a new phone, there's hundreds probably of default settings already on there, so you don't have to program mm. things. An analogy in the um, uh, in the energy world is actually thinking about sort of green energy as a default tariff, uh, for instance. I mean, there's a study in in Switzerland with 200,000 customers across two retailers, um, and also a load of um, uh, business customers as well, and they found that um, the default tariff. Uh, being a green energy tariff, they found that 80% people, 80% of consumers stayed on that default green electricity tariff, even though it was more expensive, and they stayed there for four years or more. So a simple technique like that can actually have a huge impact. Could it be something as well, David, like if it's thinking of a smart thermostat, um, the smart thermostat says it learns your uh, building physics, it knows how much energy you would save by turning your thermostat down by one degree. Um, it knows your energy price, so it knows how much money you'd save. So almost a default of, hey, would you like us, you know, press this button to turn your thermostat setting bad down by one degree? It will save you eleven pounds thirty-three a week. I mean, it's not quite a default setting, but it's uh, it's making it easy for customers, I guess. 
That's it. It's, it's taking that, that that thinking. Um, obviously, you've got to abide by GDPR um, uh, rules, so there are, are some things to, to you need to navigate uh, within that. Mm-hmm. But if you can use some of those techniques like default settings, um, just to make sure that customer um, journey is is smooth um, and uh, and frictionless, but for the end goal um, of you know reducing. Um, uh, carbon emissions, for instance, then yeah, techniques yeah. like that would, would work very well. Any automation, optimization, people then don't have to think about it on a daily basis. It's done for them. Mm. Well, go on, Alex. I, I, I just, listening to you, there's something that comes up quite uh, often, what you're saying. It's the word easy, actually. And I think easiness is also something really important to enable customers to navigate the energy transition. And it's not just easiness having like the default option. I think it's also easiness on like, getting the, the right item, the right smart thermostat, the right insulation. And I think customers need advices. They need the right marketplace to actually acquire the right systems. Um, and we've seen some offers appearing in Europe that are quite interesting. So you cited Ottovo Nigel. Mm. which is a marketplace and it makes really easy for customers to get the right system. But I think we need more of that because the energy user remains quite unengaged with energy. They don't know what kilowatt hour are. Um, so yeah, we, they, they need energy suppliers or other actors to help them, to advise them uh, to make the right choices, I think. Coming back to your, your puzzledness, Nigel, or the word you used to be, mm-hmm. the beginning, which was puzzled, and putting myself in a policymaker's shoes, maybe they see the, the lack of ease in energy efficiency, Alex. So I'm sure they do see the, the lack of ease in energy, energy efficiency on demand side that you, you've just mentioned. And what they don't see is the scalable business models from the industry that will deliver these demand side solutions or be a big part in delivering those demand side solutions. Whereas what they do see is scalable business models for onshore wind, offshore wind, nuclear, and so on. Um, So Nigel and Alex, I know you both look, your research is focused on new business models. Are there, you mentioned a few companies, but do you have confidence that there are those scalable business models out there uh, that can support customers with uh, with meeting their needs in the most efficient way. Um, uh, it's a really tough question. I, I I would say there's still some reticence, um, particularly in B two C. You know, B two B, we're seeing a lot of um, really innovative models around pro- provision of. Um, We've talked about energy as a service, but that's kind of the end game for this: um, removing capital barriers and providing outcome-based services. And and we could talk all day about what's going on in B two B, but that's not really where where the crisis predominantly is at. So so it then for me becomes well, why why the reticence to do the same in the B two C space? And I think that the innovators maybe sometimes have the same reticence that the policymakers have. You know, the mystery of the customer introduces risk. Okay, the 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 the, the, the capricious residential customer who is so hard to understand, whereas a business tends to be more predictable, more rational, their their demand profiles are often a lot more predictable because if they have a, a you know a fixed operational profile, it's easier to, to work with that. Um so so um but but and also, there's this feeling that finance, uh, uh, 
I had an interesting conversation with a senior asset um, leasing manager at HSBC, and he he talked to me he, he talked to me about collateral. You know, he's saying that basically solar PV in the home or or smart meters or any of these sort of new bits of kit that we're putting in in homes. He says they're useless. I, it will cost me more to to repossess them than they're worth when I do so. So they're useless as collateral. But he said. There is one thing I could use as collateral, and that's the near certainty of future energy demand. I could securitize future energy demand and use that as as a form of collateral. Um, And in fact, he'd done that. He'd actually done that with a company that was putting in smart meters and had had a right to claim a a stake in those future uh, revenues. And it amazes me that nobody's done this, that nobody's thinking that creatively in the B2C space. So yes, it's as well as... Isn't that what, Sorry. in a way, what network operators do, what DSOs do? They they build a substation. They know that mm. they're going to be able to recover use of network charges for 30, 40 years. They finance yes. it and they, they, they depreciate it over a very long time period. In, indeed. But the difference is their incomes are regulated. They know they're going to get it because yes. it's guaranteed by government. Yeah. What, what I'm saying is you don't really need the government guarantee because mm-hmm. the demand will, will be there anyway. Mm. And 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 those finance posts, you know, we, we are seeing the emergence of green mortgages, which are like a long-term amortized um, loan product that reduces capital barriers and, and, and therefore um, looks like one of these sort of you know, long-term products I'm talking mm. about, um, but I, I feel that that level of creativity isn't isn't there, and I, and and that's that is frustrating because there's an immense opportunity for innovators there, um, and um, and and we're just not hearing that much about it. So it seems to me there's part. I'm trying to distill the different parts of the jigsaw here. There's the finance part of the jigsaw we talked about, and mm. in principle, there's no shortage of finance looking to finance energy efficiency solutions maybe hard yeah. to structure that right there'll be some of the things you've talked about might help with that nigel and alex you both gave examples but there's finance um there's insight into customers and understanding where there's the opportunity for insulation or heat pumps or solar pv david there's no shortage of data emerging that can give people insight into customers i think um, some data protection rules that might make that hard around the edges, but essentially there's going to be more and more data available to help tailor a solution for a customer. Um, yeah, no, that, that exists today, and I think that is almost the building blocks to to, to work with as well. Um, the you know people are using this at scale already. It is a scalable solution mm. as energy insights. There's commercial value for people that supply it. Um, not just the, the solution providers, but the retailers that, that own that customer relationship as well. Uh, we've got evidence to to support that. So you make money from it now. It's you know it's good for consumers. It's, it's good for the energy system, and I think it allows that bridge as well between what the picture is today and how to reduce your energy bill through simple techniques, through to actually building that trust and then enabling the big ticket items of the future um, that really will help the, the energy transition in terms of, you know, the, um, the um, uh, energy efficiency um, uh, products uh, and the 
EV charge points and the heat pumps and all those big ticket mm. items to come through as well because you've got that understanding of what that impact on that particular home and that particular behavior uh, in that home would have uh, with, with those new um, energy technology in the home. So we've got the data that can guide the energy engagement, drive the energy engagement, guide the right solution for the right customer at the right time for the right channel and so on. I can see how we can have tambourines. We haven't maybe explored tambourines as much as we could today, but um, with the interest in energy at the moment, surely there's an opportunity for tambourines in terms of... Do we need the tambourines? Seriously, we we did maybe two years ago. I I get that. Hmm. There's too many people talking about how energy doesn't engage people. My God, it engages them now. Exactly, exactly. It's a load of rubbish. We don't need tambourines anymore. We've got the best incentive going, which is people making terrible decisions, heat versus eat. This is crazy. Well, maybe we've got the tambourines, but we've got to play the right tune to get people really excited about <laughs> I think the you've really got enough mileage out of that metaphor. <laughs> um, we've got the technologies, we've got the products, that's not a problem. Be they heat pumps, be they solar PV, be it insulation, be it smart heating controls. So I think a lot of the ingredients are there hmm. to focus on the demand side. Alex, I know we haven't talked about demand side response, which you were interested to talk about today, but ways in which you can share some of the value of flexibility with customers and customers can play an even more active role. So I'd like to, I want to bring out the talking new energy crystal ball now and um, ask each of you in the next, let's set it to, to three years time, a really short setting. <laughs> what would if you if you were talking with uh, an energy retailer or energy industry CEO and said in three years' time you should be offering this or you should have something like this on the market, or you were working for an energy retailer, what would you be focusing on that you think in three years' time could make a big difference to the demand side? So... Um, it could be a particular business model, a particular offering. It could be an example that you've talked about today that you've mentioned that you think would really help to show what can be done with the demand side, given everything we've talked about. Um, Nigel, I'll put you on the spot first, uh, and then <laughs> then Alex, and then then David. Um, well, it's it's all about electrification, and it's all about delivering. Um, those solutions as a service or with some sort of you know some sort of way of removing capital barriers so in its simplest form that's self-consumption with pv or pv and storage that's following the capital you know the no money down model whether that's as a service or whatever that that's a proven model it's working you know, go look at a Tovo. Look at look, look at how how their sales book has rocketed in the last six months. Um, but more than that, I would also turn it into an end-to-end journey for customers. There are too many people just selling PV and then and then and then walking away. As a service is about an ongoing conversation where you optimize that with other uh, assets in the home to get the most out of it. And nobody is providing that end-to-end journey um, and um, for customers where where they get the PV that is then uh, it's then integrated and optimized and eventually integrated with not just other assets in the home but also with the grid. Anybody could do that full journey and and provide an expert service, a trusted provider with the finance uh, 
um, wrapper around it to, to, to uh, lower the barriers to entry would have a killer product because because that's what people are crying out for. And the, the maths now stack up better than they have done in years right across Europe. Okay. Thanks, Nigel. Let's uh, see what, Alex, you've got. Um, well, I can't disagree with Nigel. I think the financing is is part of the solution, whatever the solution is. But I would probably recommend governments and providers to actually offer something with whole house renovation. And that would include just insulation, but also heating systems together with financing. Because first, it actually it makes sense on the financial perspective, but it's also, I think, the easiest way to protect the end user and not to have end user choosing between heating and heating, as Nigel is saying. Okay, so whole house renovation uh, financed over a longish period of time, and that would reduce demand, reduce bills, reduce dependence on energy imports, and more. Yeah. Uh, David? Yeah, I can't argue with, uh, with those things, but uh, I'll add another one to the mix. Um, and yeah. it'll be about, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on the energy insights sort of products at the moment, because we're looking sort of ahead sort of three years, I'd probably say to an energy retailer, you should have been in the market for this for the past five years, at least. Um, you should be developing or have developed really sophisticated energy insights products. So you're moving well beyond engaging to empowering customers to do to take action so you're moving from information to actually influencing behavior change and being that bridge from that sort of engagement and information through to not just empowering people to make take action right now about their own energy consumption but about the upsell potential then for new energy technology to really drive the energy transition great well Three thoughts there that hopefully will inspire thinking amongst everyone listening. Um, and um, let's see where where the demand side can get to to, uh, to create a more balanced response to the energy crisis than we have today. Um, Nigel, Alex, David, thank you all very much for your time and sharing your thoughts. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Thanks to everyone listening. We hope that your role in the energy sector, whatever it is at the moment, is, well, in the spotlight, maybe. We hope it's exciting and we hope that this episode has inspired some new ideas and some new thoughts for you to take back to your, to your day jobs. Thanks for joining and look forward to welcoming you back to Talking New Energy in the next weeks. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.